Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Menares. I believe that we all need a space to speak our authentic truth, as well as a space to hear the truths of real and vulnerable people so that we can better understand that we are not alone. Hearing the experiences of others encourages us to step into the light in our own lives. It is through owning our stories and learning to speak our truth that we are able to grow and rise above the challenges we face and step into the full power of all we were created to be. You will hear many topics discussed in this space with people from all over the world. We hope that you feel welcomed into a community of growth and that this space will invite you to uncover the absolute greatness that is already inside of you. Oh, and don't forget, check out all the We Podcast episodes as well as the We Spot blog over at thewespot.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey girl, it's me coming to tell you all about episode number 56, Sold on Life. In this episode, I get to chat with Eleanor Tienborg. Eleanor was diagnosed with breast cancer while she was pregnant in 2016. After her diagnosis, her life changed forever. She's sharing her cancer journey in hopes that she could help others by telling her story. She loves to be able to help others find themselves through their challenges. She is the founder of Sold on Life and aims to inspire people to a healthier lifestyle through sustainable choices. She has also created her own granola, which is a healthy product she sells at local farmer's markets. She believes it's a stepping stone towards helping others choose healthier options, both physically and mentally. Eleanor is a true inspiration. Her outlook on life is one of hope and great depth that she attributes to being diagnosed with cancer. She is a true example of finding purpose in the pain. She talks about finding herself and being awakened after finding out about the cancer. I think we can all learn from Eleanor's heart and wisdom. We all face challenges. She talks to us about how to embrace those challenges to find ourselves and live a more fulfilled life. So here we go. Here is my interview with Eleanor. Welcome to this episode of the We Podcast. I'm very excited to have the amazing Eleanor Tiedenborg here with me today. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to be able to interview you and share your story out. I have to say, we met on Facebook probably two years ago, a year and a half ago, maybe something like that. Two years ago, yeah. 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 And you are in Australia. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I'm originally yeah. from Sweden, but I've been living in Australia for the last 20 years. So um, I came, yeah, I came over here to study and then I ended up working as in media for many, many years. Awesome. Well, I love, I love, love, love that we are connected all the way on the other side of, of the world. It's super cool. And I will say, even though I've never met you in person, you have been an inspiration to me. And I think you are an inspiration to so many people. And so 
I can't wait for my audience to be able to hear your story and just, I think you are such a loving and beautiful person and that will definitely come through in, in the podcast. So I'm excited. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I feel that, you know, I feel the same for you. It's like, a, you know, it's like a sister. I look at you like a sister. I'm like, I never met you, but I feel an instant connection. And I'll always have since I first, um, this is something about you. I can't even explain what yeah. it is, but um, uh, that makes me feel at home, if that makes sense. Oh, thank you. Ditto. <laughs> I can't wait till the day that we get to hug in person. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in. I could keep going on and on about how amazing I think you are, but I think that uh, it's best for people to start hearing your story. So you said that you were originally from Sweden and then you moved <clears throat> to Australia. Yeah, I moved to Australia in 1990. Well, I've been to Australia a couple of times previous to that, but uh, like I moved here in 1996. I studied photography um, uh, in Sydney, and then by the end of my studies, I got offered a job with News Corp. So I worked as a photojournalist for about 20 years and loved. I used to love my job. A very hectic job. I had a son at we were older parents, and I had my first son. We had our first son at. Um, in 2013 and then uh, we didn't think we were going to have another one but we actually yeah decided to, to have another one and Eli um, he was born in 2016 and uh, yeah when I was 34 weeks pregnant he uh, I got told that I uh, had breast cancer I'd had a, a itchy breast for a few weeks and yeah I, I um, went to my um, obstetrician and said oh what do you think and because I had a lot of mastitis with my firstborn, she said it could just be cyst. We'll have a look. And next thing I found out that, you know, I had breast cancer. So we, the, the, um, the birth was uh, moved forward. So, or forward, backwards, whatever you say. Yeah. So I had to have Eli at 36 weeks. Yeah. So, mm. um, yeah, so it was a bit of a crazy time. And then because Eli, Eli's lungs weren't, we weren't sure he was going to make it. It was pretty crucial there for um, a few days. But we were in, um, what do you call it, for, for the young ones, a special care unit for, for Eli for two weeks. And then the day after I came home from the hospital, we started, I started chemo mm. for um, six rounds. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so there was, I guess it was a, a very, there was a crazy time, you know, you, you know, you're pregnant, your hormones are going wild as it is. And I'm like, I wasn't sure I was going to, I'll make it six months. I, you know, when you get told that, I guess I was in disbelief and shock and, you know, all sorts of things. But yeah, I did my six rounds of chemo and then uh, they did a double mastectomy and that was probably, the, yeah, yeah the, probably the most challenging thing I've done in my whole life. As in, mm. in yeah, you would lie, I was stripped of everything, but it was the, and I keep saying this, this is probably the best thing that could have happened because it's just, it stripped everything from me and I had to start again. I had to kind of slowly just 
because I hit rock bottom, you know, I'd help from my mum had come over from Sweden to help us with um, the newborn because obviously I couldn't physically, like I could hold him, but I wasn't allowed to do too much with him. And that's, you know, as a mum, that was heartbreaking, you know, obviously you want to be there and change nappies and do all that stuff. Mm. And I, I breastfed for a couple of weeks before they, they did the mastectomy, sorry, before they started the the chemo. And I think the with, with, with our firstborn, I, I breastfed, breastfed him for 18 months. So I was so I was I think I was more upset about not being able to breastfeed him, mm. Eli than I was about the actual cancer. And I actually approached the um, and not many people know this. I, I approached the health minister here in, in in Australia because we had done some work through um, through media over the years, and I, I knew him Brad Hassett quite well. I, I explained my situation and I said, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking for, for people that have premature kids. I said, I, I totally believe that women uh, are entitled to breastfeed if they can or if they don't want to. That's totally cool. But for me, it was really important uh, because I had been able to do that. And I said, you know, isn't there a way that we could introduce breast milk for premature born kids because they have... You know, obviously they have their own challenges the, as being a premier. So anyway, so we actually got um, the Red Cross Blood Bank here in, in Australia now have, as a mum, you can access breast milk for free, I think it is. And we, we actually bought breast milk from somewhere else just mm-hmm. to be able to breastfeed. Yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a sidetrack, but I was... Yeah. Yeah, it was really important yeah. for me as, as a, and I guess I knew the immune system and I knew that would help as well for, for Elon. Wow. So how long after he was born, did you start chemo? Two weeks. Yeah. Two, two weeks, weeks after. Yeah. Okay. So, and I guess, quick. yeah, it was quick. They initially were going to do the mastectomy, but then they all had a meeting and they decided to go reverse. And then after they, after I had my chemo and then did the mastectomy, I got told that the chemo hadn't worked. So when they actually did the mastectomy and I had, uh, they took nine lymph nodes and seven were cancerous and, Mm -hmm. but nothing had shrunk. So then they said, okay, well they did a scan on my body. They couldn't actually find any other cancer, but uh, they said, just in case there's some microscopic cells going around your body, we're going to give you heavier treatment. So I started another round of chemo. And sorry, I had radiation as well uh, after the first round. And then they did, yeah, they wanted to do that as a safety precaution. And obviously I was, you know, I'd gone through the the first six ones, um, you know, lost my hair and all those things. But that was also quite liberating with the the hair because... (laughs) I remember the day, you know, you're in the shower and your hair, hair starts falling out and uh, mm. I'm thinking, oh, I can't, I can't do this. I have to shave it off. I can't, you know. So I said to my my son who was due for a haircut and I said, oh, you know, darling, well, you know, mum's hair is falling out because of the medication I'm taking. Uh, I said, I really, you know, I know you're due for a haircut. Do you mind if I come with you and, and we, we do it at the same time or mum has to shave her head? So I got to the hairdresser and um, and uh, Charlie sits down to have his his haircut and then I got quite emotional because I think oh, that was that was it you know like I'm thinking okay anyway so the lady took me in the back room and she shaved my hair and and then <laughs> and Charlie had had finished his haircut and he walks in and he he says to me 
mummy, you look like a monster. And I'm like, oh, come on, mate. But, you know, and I was, I laughed, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, and I, I thought, okay. So I put my, my partner had bought me a, a beautiful scarf to put around my head. So I put that on. And then we decided to go up to have a coffee after, after the haircut. And as we were sitting at the table at the cafe, my son looks at me and he says, mom, you know, take that off. That looks silly, you know? So then in that time from obviously being shocked that I had no hair and then realizing I was putting a scarf on. And I thought, you know, if he's cool with me not having any hair, I'll, I'm okay with that as well. And it was the most liberating because I used to fiddle with my hair. I never had great hair, <laughs> but I used to fiddle with my hair. I could stay there for hours and blow dry and, you know, whatever else I do to get some kind of um, thickness to it. But, uh, and I thought, and it was interesting when I went to the shops, you know, sometimes the older gentlemen that, you know, had no hair, they looked at me and they gave me a smile and the young ones, you know, they look at you, but looks, you know, away straight away because they obviously felt uncomfortable. But, you know, we all know mm. that we all can see the people in society that are going through cancer because they either wear a, a beanie or a, a scarf or whatever. And we know that it is, but we don't talk about it. And, and then I, I had a lot of people approaching me because I was open with it. And saying, you know, just strangers in the street stopping me saying, how are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and I thought that it started a conversation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm still stuck on the fact that uh, you started treatment only two weeks after. <laughs> I'm like trying to wrap my head around that because you're so right. I mean, having a newborn baby is hard as it is. And then having to having to deal with all of this, I can't, I just can't even imagine. You are one amazing lady because too, you said, I caught you saying it was the best thing that could have happened to you, which I think that is an amazing outlook. Absolutely amazing. And a lot of people don't ever get there. I don't think and so that's why your, I think your message is so powerful because you are seeing this hard, hard, hard thing as the best thing. And so can you tell us a little bit more about that and kind of how, how you got there, how, that, how you reconciled that within yourself? I mean, it didn't obviously ha- happen straight away. And I think... I think when, when I actually had the mastectomy, the day I went in to have this mastectomy, the surgeon had said they were just going to take the side that that was cancerous. And uh, I had very big breasts at the time. And I thought if I'm going to have a reconstruction, they didn't, the, uh, where we live, they couldn't do reconstruction straight away. So, and because of all the other stuff that was going on, they thought, okay, let's just get rid of it. And then we'll talk reconstruction later on. But the day when I walked in to have the, the surgery done, the, the anaesthetist, I said to him, I said, do you think I can convince the surgeon? Because I already asked the surgeon to, if I could get, yeah, do both on the day. Uh, and he said, no way. And, the, and I said to the anaesthetist, do you think there's any way I can convince the surgeon to do it, to take both? And he said, he said, no way. Once Neil has made his mind up, he won't change his mind. And I said, oh, and this sounds terrible saying this, but he said, what's your, what's his biggest, that, this is what I asked him. I said, what, what's his biggest weakness? And he said, his daughter's. Okay. So I thought, this is my last shot. So I went into the, just to the, before you go into the theater, you meet in a little room 
and I said to Neil, I said, you know, Neil, I'm going to ask you something now. And he looked at me and I said, you know what? I said, if I was your daughter, I said, and you knew that she might not live to, we, we know that cancer often comes back in the other breast. I said, Bob, you know, could you please take both my breasts because it's more likely that it comes back. I said, I want to live to see my boys grow up. Uh, and I said, if I was your daughter, would you do it, you know? And he looked at me and he said, oh, you can't ask me that. I said, well, I am asking you. So we went into surgery and then came out and I said to the nurse, did he do it? And she said, yes, he took both. So Mm. from that moment, I guess I knew that I wanted to have some kind of control of my own life, as in although I was in the hands of the professionals doing everything they could to, to, to save me, um, and then, you know, from that, obviously the, a double mastectomy is like, it's huge. It's a lot of trauma to your body mm. and, um, and, and, you know, you're on, you know, they always give you painkillers and, you know, I was on endone, which was a, a horrible drug and I, I wouldn't recommend that for me personally. It wasn't a very healthy uh, thing to be on, although it took away my pain, but my mental state wasn't great from this particular, um, the painkiller. And one night I remember lying in bed and I'm, I'm in tears and I'm thinking, I can't do this any longer. I'm, I'm, I had it. I'm giving up. So I get emotional when I say this, but okay. I said, I need help here. I just, I need help. Just say, God, come to me and help me because I can't do it on my own. And that next morning I woke up and it was like everything had lifted. I said, I said to my mom and I said to Simon, I said, okay, I said, get rid of the endone out of the house. I'm not taking painkillers anymore. I'm using, you know, Panadol or whatever else I use. I said, I don't want to have that in there. And that from that day, it turned. Like, so all the feelings and the emotions and the, the and I knew, okay, this is going to be a long journey. It's not going to happen overnight, but I'll have the power within me. And, you know, I, I have, do have faith. So, uh, with God helping me, I can get through this. And then it was like I was stripped back from everything. Everything was taken away from me, and I knew that I had to rebuild myself. So obviously, a personal development, very a quick, <laughs> quick course of personal development. And mm. I guess I started to to look and and I'm thinking, okay, well, if I'm about to go, how can I make a difference? How can I? How can I? how can I affect another person's life to make, you know, healthier choices? Because I had been in my uh, last couple of years in media, I was super stressed and, you know, working long hours, didn't see our child. And I was, I'm really questioning, I was questioning why I'm thinking all my life I wanted a child. It took me such a long time. And now we understand why that was the case. But, and here I am working long hours from night to dawn and I, I didn't have a quality of life and I felt like I was, I was pretty shitty with life. I'm thinking, you know, I was, I was grumpy. And my partner said to me, this is obviously previous to the cancer. He said to me one day, he said, Eleanor, he said, you're just so negative. And I'm like, I'm not negative. Um, you're what are you talking about? And I went away and I thought about what he said. And I thought, yeah, no, he's right. I'm, I was pissed off with life, you know? And, and, you know, but it was stress. There was a lot of things. And, you know, when you're stressed, you reach for the wrong things and, you know, all that stuff. And I guess once the cancer came and I knew it, was, it could actually all be taken away from me within months, 
Mm. It was time to try and, I guess, I just wanted one, if one other person to could listen and not go through the same mistake as I did, or mistakes, I should say. And, and you know, I had to learn to love myself again because, you know, I didn't, as, as when I was young, you know, the, the boys didn't talk to my face, they talked to my boobs. That, and, and, you know, I had to, uh, this sounds terrible saying that, but there was like, there was reality of it. And I'm like, I had to actually become a person. I, I started to love myself again, I, you know, and, and I'm working on that still every day. But I, I really accepted hmm. who I was for, for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it took me, what, I was diagnosed at, well, how old was I? What am I now? 40, I'm turning 48 in a couple of weeks. So that's um, yeah, about three years ago. So, mm. yeah, so that's yeah, 45. So, you know, and 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 knowing that I, I knew that I wanted to see my boys grow up as well. Like it, it was, if it only came to me, I wasn't, I was kind of, uh, now I, I probably wasn't okay with going because I felt like I had more in me. Hmm. Uh, and to be honest, I just feel like now I'm, this is two and a half years ago, sorry, coming, yeah, two and a half years ago, I, I'm just feel like I'm getting started, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just getting started. And I guess, you know, when, when people get told that they have cancer, they, they often, they think that's it. So their mental state goes into, like naturally you would, goes into, okay, well, there's no point, I'm dying anyway. Mm. And you like the brain is a powerful thing or your mind is a powerful thing. We know that with everything we do in life and, you know, we can hear a bit about athletes. Oh, there's so many stories where doctors have given up on people, but that person didn't give up hope on themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they still thought, well, I get out of bed. I'm going to make a difference. If it's not to anybody else, I'm doing it for me. And those people, because of they, they, because they change their mindset, they often live to to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that was a long answer to your question. No, <laughs> it was beautiful. I, you know, you were talking, and I was really thinking that it sounds to, it sounds like you you made a shift, like your identity shifted from your exterior self to your interior mm-hmm. self. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess, you know, because I was, I've always been a tall girl and growing up, you know, I, you know, the, um, I had nicknames called and like, I wasn't bullied. I wouldn't say I was a bullied, but you know, and those things kind of stick to your mind. I was super shy as a, as a young girl, super shy, you know, people talk to me and I could like, you know, feel the blood going to my head and I, I, I just, I blush, you know, and it was an awful thing. And I, and I guess, I guess I, um, like even when I left Sweden, like one of the reasons why I left Sweden, because I didn't feel like I fitted in, but it wasn't that I didn't fit in. It wasn't that I was just not comfortable in my own. I hadn't found myself, I guess. Hmm. So I I kept, you know, I was looking to find myself. And then obviously, you know, through traveling and, you know, your challenges and, you know, whatever you, you slowly, but you can choose, you can choose how you, I guess move forward, and and I, I think the the challenge that we are given, mm-hmm. like previous to my cancer, if I was challenged, I would whinge about it. But now I'm kind of go, I still have days when I'm complain. I'm not saying that, but 
be careful with the words you use and what you tell yourself. And, and something I also learned to overcome because I used to worry about what people thought of me. Hmm. And I don't, I don't care about what people think about me like yeah, anymore as I used to do. People are always going to think of things about you regardless. It doesn't matter if you do right or wrong by them, but people are always going to have their thoughts. But that's not your problem. You, you choose how you approach that. And I guess like with the cancer and, and what I've learned about myself and, and other people as well, I want other people to know that I'm going to fight to my last breath. And like if that's it and I keep saying 90, I want to sit on the veranda in my rocking chair when I'm 90. <laughs> and I want the people to say, oh, that lady's still here. And I keep saying that over again. But. I guess I want to show people that, that, you know, don't give up, don't give up on yourself, you know, because you have more within you. And sometimes when you think that those, the hardest moments you think, why me? And I, I don't think I ever felt why me? I thought, Oh my God, it's happening to me. And I like, I've heard so many, you know, over the years, you know, working in media, we covered enormous amounts of story, young, old, middle-aged people going through cancer hmm. and at least I, I guess I also felt when I was diagnosed at least and especially going through treatment and going to the, the the hospital when you walk in there and you see the young ones the teenagers they haven't even started their life and I thought to myself this I've had a proper shot hmm. like I've had a proper shot you know and 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 I guess for the first time in my life I also had to like I had to I had to fight for me I had to fight for me, but I also wanted to fight for my boys. I wanted to, yeah, I mean, they're still so young. And obviously our oldest, who's now six, um, you know, we had a very open conversation about that, uh, about what's going on. And I'm trying to be as open as possible, but we, we don't know the outcome. We're all going to die, but at some point, but we, we always, and I guess that's another thing. I, I felt like I was lived, I lived like it, it was eternity you know, previous to this, like my life was eternity, but it's not. And, you know, you have a choice on how you make your years. What What are you going to, like, are you going to be miserable or are you going to be happy? What do you choose? This is a, it's a pretty easy choice. And sometimes it's harder to be happier than be negative because, and then also that's another thing I learned was that by saying negative things, you attract negative things by saying positive things not only to yourself, but about other people, about the everything, you know? Yeah, the power of your thoughts. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. Absolutely. Well, and the fact that you get to choose, you get you get to choose if you see the the blessing of all of this hardship or if you if you don't, if you do get into the mindset of why me and you know the other road that you can go down. And I think a lot of people don't even maybe realize that they have the power to make that choice. No, that's no, 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 I I guess they, because they see it as a death sentence. Hmm. I saw it as an awakening. I mean, not right away, Mm -hmm. but for me, it has now after two and a half years and I've been lucky enough to survive that so far. And, and, but, yeah, for me, it was an awakening. And then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I always said that. And I always said that I said that pre-cancer as well. I, I, the day I stopped learning about myself, I may as well die. But I had stopped learning mm. when I was diagnosed. I'd stopped, I stopped 
you know, I was frustrated and I was extremely, you know, I, I, I guess I didn't think my life would be where it was. Although I'd had an, 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 an incredible time working as a news photographer and, and I guess meeting people from all walks of life and, and ordinary people with extraordinary stories, you know, and I guess that's why I used to love my job so much. And obviously media is changing because the way we use the internet and, and um, you know, our work workplace is going to look very different in a few years. And I guess that, that also fascinated me. And, and I guess the, your identity with my work or my identity with my work, because I was a, um, a photographer hmm. and suddenly, you know, I, I knew also once, you know, my maternity leave was up, I knew I couldn't go back to that environment because it was super stressful. And I knew for my health, that wasn't, I couldn't do that. That was, that was the thing that tipped me over. So I had to make a conscious decision. Okay. Well, that's not okay with me at the moment. You know, I'll, I have to choose me first. And I guess sometimes uh, in life, we also, we put a lot of other people first. Mm-hmm. And but then also we don't look after ourselves. We don't have the self-care and I, I needed to look after myself for a bit, you know, and work on my head, like on my mind. Right. Do you think that's the biggest shift? Like when you say awakening, I love that. Well, I I learned to, you know, I learned like, yeah, it wasn't awakening. I learned to love myself. Everything was stripped. Everything was gone. I wasn't sure I was going to survive, but I knew I had to take one step, one day at a time. I couldn't look too far ahead. Mm-hmm. There's no problem looking back because that had already been okay. And I knew I didn't want to go back there because that hadn't served me, served me. So I knew, and, and I guess it's like with any illness or with life in general, you just have to take that for like one step, one day at a time. And, and I learned to become present as well, not mm-hmm. thinking too far ahead and, and just being able to sit and hold my child or, you know, give, give the boys a cuddle or, you know, and then you're also keen to get back into life. I guess you're keen to get it back into, but uh, once you, you know, all the treatments were done and stuff like that. But, you know, as, as my cancer is now, it's metastatic. I have treatment at the moment, but I also am, am, am I guess I'm questioning my treatment because it's harming me as well. And I know that, and, and basically say that, uh, and this is interesting. And, and, and I'm, I might upset people saying this, but people talk about people dying of cancer, but they also don't talk about, you know, they're talking about organ failure and all sorts of things, but they don't talk about them dying from the treatment. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm. And I'm not going to go like, I know that's very political and, you know, I know everyone is doing everything to conventional medicine, but I guess to, to try and help us live longer. And I'm extremely grateful for that. But, I also think that sometimes maybe we should integrate, you know, mindfulness, the, 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 what we eat, what we put in our bodies. It's super important, you know, mm-hmm. nutrition, you know, what, you know, look at, and, and this is a whole other story, but we have to go back to basics. And I think that's what it comes to when, when you get diagnosed with cancer, you have to just start again, go back. Okay. What am I eating? What am I doing with my mind? What am I you know, how do I get up every day? You know, what am I grateful for? And gratitude, that, that was another thing too. Like instead of talking about the, and people think, oh, how can you be grateful when you've got cancer? But still got to wake up. I've been waking up for two and a half years. 
and I still get to have a cup of coffee or sit in the garden, look at the trees, you know, look at my kids run around or play with them. You know, the, the simple, like the simple things, you know, we often talk about the big vision and I totally believe in that. We have to have that as well, but sometimes we have to simplify it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, I, I get lost in that and I, I have to, I feel like I have to constantly bring myself back to the present because it's so easy to get wrapped up in everything else. Yeah. And, and the little things, really the little things are usually what actually matter the most. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, that's the thing, you know, like, um, like in early January, they didn't, they weren't sure I was going to make it for another week. And they, they basically said, well, we're not sure if you're going to be here this week, next week. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And I'm like, and I'm like, I look at them. I'm like, hang on, I'm going to put my big girly pants on and I'm getting out. Or like, I'm, you, no, I'm not ready yet. Like, that's how I felt. Mm. And I, I, but it also went like, okay, well, if that's the case, we say I am going next week. What can I do? And I just sat with the boys. I played with them. I looked them in the eyes. I gave them cuddles, you know, told my partner that I loved him, not that I not do that other times but it was like wow okay if that happens like what does really matter doesn't matter if I have the big house or does it you know of course it matters in in, in, you know we we should strive to have things but in the end of the day we can't take it with us Mm -hmm. you know do you rather help and I I guess that's also another thing I think joy comes from helping other people and I know with your background and we talked about that when I spoke to you is that helping another person seeing the potential within them that's more fulfilling than having the car in the driveway or that you know i'm not saying that we shouldn't have that but you know what i'm saying in the end of the day we can't take it with us yeah i totally agree Mm -hmm. yeah i think our priorities easily get out of out of whack and 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 they can become to a place where we do want the bigger 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 and then what does that mean that means we have more and more stress too because we have Mm -hmm. to have the the stressful job to maintain that lifestyle and uh, it it all kind of it feels like it goes together Mm, yeah it does And, and i guess sometimes i think also society looks at um as a society we look at um you know the the harder we work, the more we achieve. But then I think also people are realizing now that working all those long hours and they um, actually, a friend of my partner said, talked about that the other week. He's a high CEO within a company. He said, I missed 12 years on my kids bringing up because he travels so much because mm-hmm. I don't want to do it anymore. I said, yeah, I paid for this and I got that and I got this, but he said, I missed it all. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, he's, he's asking himself, has he, is it has it been worth it? He said, "I'd rather be here hanging with the boys, you know, kicking the football." Like, yeah, you know, in the end of the day, you like you, you know, we got to do what we got to do to earn money, but also we ha- also have to, I guess, you know, when we walk down the street, when we speak to people, listen to them, and and help help other people. You know, I think that's more fulfilling than having a million dollars in the bank. Hmm. Yeah, and that's become your mission, right? You you've made it your mission now to help other people 
find themselves through their challenges. Is that... Yeah, I guess that's like I'm still working on what I'm, you know, what I'm actually doing. But I, I guess that I created, and this is very interesting. Before I got diagnosed with cancer, I created a business called Sold on Life, and uh, that name was really I felt really strongly for that name. And but Sold on Life was started off as something completely different, but now has become my mission. And I guess. I, I also want to show people because a lot of people say to me, oh, but you got cancer. Like, oh, your challenge is as big as mine. And I said, that's totally irrelevant. I said, your challenge, whatever you're going through, is as challenging for you as, as my cancer is for me. It, it, this, mm-hmm. There's nothing, I guess, more or less mm-hmm. uh, because it's still a challenge to you. Yeah. you know? And, of course, I mean, death is obviously more in your face than, you know, I don't know not getting the, the right job or whatever, whatever it is that, is that you want to do. Mm. But I guess my mission is to, I want to show people too that firstly that cancer isn't the end of you. It could be the beginning of you. And I also want to show other people that your challenge doesn't have to define you. They can actually become your, the making of you, mm. you know, whatever it is. And you, you, and we spoke about this before, Sarah, is that, do you want to be victim or do you want to be victor? Like, you know, what, what is it? What is it that, you know, what do, how do you choose to, to get up in the day? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's, I, I think what you just said though too is so powerful in us getting caught in this comparative suffering kind of thing of, well, you you have cancer, and so you have it worse than I do, and so therefore, I don't want to talk about my challenges or what's going on with me. I think that's how a lot of humans in general function. We compare hardships, we compare suffering, and we make one harder than the other in our own mind. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people end up stuffing things and not dealing with them because I hear people say so often, well, other people have it worse than I do. So I'm just not going to say anything about what I'm struggling with. It's really, really important to, to speak about out about your struggles. It's because it's like, um, I don't, I mean, people sometimes say, you know, because I have been so open with my journey and a lot of people that are going through cancer, each to their own, they choose not to talk about it. And mm-hmm. I'm totally cool with that. But I guess I also wanted to pe- feel, I wanted to make people, because a lot of people that are, are around us that if we say, you know, I'm going through cancer, but a lot of people that are around us, they also don't, they don't know how to talk about it or they're scared of talking about it Mm. but I think I I made a conscious choice I said well if that's I'm going to I've always been quite open like maybe not like this I wouldn't be on social media (laughs) but I would like in a private conversation I would be open about how I felt but I Mm. thought you know what maybe I can help another person by showing that all our challenges are are here to actually make us grow Mm. I think you know that's uh, what I believe yeah 
Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love how open you are. And I, I love how you said earlier, you, you kind of addressed people seeing you and looking away and not engaging. And unfortunately, I think that that's also something that's far too common. People are afraid not only to address their own pain and their own challenges, but they're also afraid to address the pain and the challenges of other people. And so they look away and they they don't want to approach them. They don't want to show up in that space, maybe because they don't know how. So what would you say to that? What would you say to the people who... I, I guess the you are never alone. I don't think you ever, no one's ever alone. We might feel very alone at times, but in the end of the day, I don't think we ever are alone. But by telling your, what you're going through, and I know I do it very publicly, but that's in hope that that could help somebody else. And I have had people reach out to me that not going through cancer, they have other challenges. They reach out to me and said, whatever you said there today or whatever you wrote, that helped me. And I kind of mm. went, yes, I got to, to, to touch someone's life. And I guess the, and also what we talked about, you know, when people look away because people are, are fearful, they're, they're scared. And like you said, I think that you hit the nail on the head there where you say that, that they have to face their own fear as in, you know, we all have fears within us in different ways, but by pushing things down, that's not going to help us. You know, I mean, you don't have to do it openly and publicly. You can do it with a therapist or you can do it, you know, with a, your friend or something. But I think you, you need to share that. And also there's so many incredible stories about that needs to be told because we don't, I think, I think as, as, as a society too, I think we're going back towards, it, it's kind of shifting. I think we, we're actually, and this is maybe it's just in the circle I'm in, but it's shifting. And I think it's, it's really, really important to make sure that other people are not alone and people are craving, we're craving, craving community. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like for you example, with the way, the, the, the way spot, you know, like the, that's, obviously what you're doing you know we, we we are not alone you know and by sharing our stories in different ways we can help other people you know yeah yeah yes this is where our hearts connect for sure I think <laughs> we're totally on the same page here and you recently had me on your show sold sold online, sold online. On, yeah on your Facebook page which is it was amazing to be your guest but I think we both believe in the power of sharing our stories and I would, I agree with you. I do think it's shifting. I do think too, that people are starting to realize that they can't isolate and that it's not good to be Hmm. alone. But the vulnerability movement I think is amazing and so necessary. So thank you for sharing your story thank Uh, you for having me (laughs) (laughs) yes well I have more questions I need to ask you before we end but can you before I before I do that can you just kind of bring us up to date on where you are now and you said you're still doing treatments now 
Yeah, so what happened was that once you, uh, basically, once you have had cancer, you're more prone to having clots or blood clots. So what happened was in January, I got quite, um, I got basically got anemic and uh, it turned out that I had a clot on my liver and that had probably been there for some time. It started somewhere else, but it had moved across and then come down to the liver. And yeah, basically they decided there and then that they had talked about giving me more uh, treatment, but obviously I was quite reluctant because as we know with, with, um, any form of chemo it's not just killing the good cells sorry bad bad cells is killing the good cells as well and i guess i wasn't i was quite reluctant so when i was in hospital they decided because i was anemic my bloods weren't doing what they were supposed to do they decided to start a treatment but what happened was that my body shut down completely so i won't go into details but it was touch and go Mm. but and I guess that at that stage, because I also was so open-minded, and I asked for prayers, I asked, I asked the community or I asked publicly mm-hmm. for help. Yeah. Um, and it turned, it changed, you know. And then, it like, and then they they have continued the treatment. The problem with what they found once they when they found the clot on the liver, they also found this damage to my liver. So my left part of the liver had died, and they weren't sure if it was due to the, the less like lack of blood going in to the, the, the liver. But the problem with this tr- particular treatment that I am, it's damaging to the liver. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I don't die of the cancer, I die of the, of the treatment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, so, but in this particular treatment is an ongoing one. So they basically, they want me to be on this for as long as I can until the cancer takes over again. But I, and I, this is, we ha- I had an MRI a couple of weeks ago and basically, they have found something on my liver, but the doctor who normally reads the the scans, he can't work it out. So they're having a big meeting on Wednesday morning this week, actually, mm-hmm. uh, to see how to move ahead. But I guess I'm at that point where I'm also, I've had a lot of treatment now, and I'm also, I'm extremely grateful for what I've had, but I'm also at that point where I'm looking at alternative stuff, as in, you know, I guess, you know, I don't want to die of organ failure. Do I rather die of the cancer or do I, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. I'm not intending to die. Mm-hmm. But like, obviously, this is the reality of, of when, when you have cancer, you know, they'd be, they be um, uh, and they were baffled for, for, for a long time because they weren't able to find any cancer. And I'm not sure even if they had found any cancer. Um, so it's that mental mental thing too as well like when you go in because you're very vulnerable initially when you get diagnosed you just do as you're told and sometimes I think if we didn't rush so much into it and I know I'm gonna probably upset a lot of people about that mm. but the doctor's saying do this do that do this do that but sometimes the cancer has taken a long time to get there it's not just happen overnight mm-hmm. so sometimes if you wait a couple of weeks when you're not so extremely vulnerable and make a decision how you want to uh, and do your research. Hmm. Uh, but people are thinking, because I'm dying, I just got to do exactly what I'm told. But sometimes I think it's good to take a breath because uh, when you're not so emotional. Hmm. Uh, and obviously because for me personally, because obviously the most important thing for me was to save Eli. You know, I thought, okay, well, nothing else. I, that was, was my biggest worry. What about Eli? Will he have cancer? But the, the body doesn't work that way, so it actually protects him. I guess 
that, that, that's where I'm at to answer your question. Um, but I, I wish we could do more, I guess, more integrated oncology mm-hmm. where, where um, one, and, and unfortunately one doesn't like the other one or the other one, like, you know, and sometimes you think we, we can grow stuff in our own backyard that could help us, but it's no money in that. So, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. and, and 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 I'll be really honest. The pharmaceutical industry is a you know we are making money. We're <laughs> right. No, I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Have you ever heard of chelation therapy? No, I haven't. My dad's did chelation. What's chelation? I am not. I don't really know exactly. It's. He did it after he got a triple bypass and then he had multiple strokes. And so his was more heart and blood related, but there was a lot of people there when he would go in for treatments who also, who had cancer. That was the majority of the patients there. And I have to look chelation. Yeah, chelation. Okay. Yeah. I'll have yeah. to, I'll send you some info about the place that he went, but essentially they put stuff through your body and it like cleans your body out. And he had to be hooked up to an IV for like hours a day for like a week straight or something like that. And it essentially cleaned out all of his, his arteries and veins. And the, the doctor had told him, I wish you would have come here before you got your triple bypass. Mm-hmm. But but the doctors were rushing him so much to mm-hmm, make a yeah. decision, and it's like you need to make a decision within, you know, two days, three days of of what you're gonna do, and you don't think there are other options. No, because you're scared. You're scared yeah. as well. You know, mm-hmm. so people they tend to make we do we just go okay, well that's what they're telling me, so that must be right. So. But, you know, looking back at it, I'm like, I'm thinking, well, neither of the first two chemos has worked for me. So maybe we missed something in the beginning, but maybe we could have approached it differently. I'm I'm not, you know, they've done an incredible job. I'm not blaming them, but Mm -hmm. sometimes I wish that we could actually work uh, together as in different kinds of therapies to kind of see, okay, what's the best approach? And I, I believe in working on a, a, a prevention rather than cure, you know, mm. but where about like the food change, I think has a lot to do with, you know, like pesticides and, you know, all that stuff that are on our food mm. that we're, you know, we, we're looking at it as in what we're eating, you know, we're yeah. eating and pro- processed foods as, as well, you know, same right. thing there, go back to basics. Totally. Yeah. Well, and on that note, you've created a natural granola (laughs) are you're selling now which makes me super sad that I can't get any in the U.S. but Mm -hmm. I think we planned yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think the um I guess yeah the reason also why I started a granola because you know because I had been extremely I guess with my my previous job as a photojournalist so you know always you know, I had conversations with people and stuff like that. And it became quite isolating being at home. Um, and I needed to, get, like, I needed to talk to people. Like, mm-hmm. and I was like, what can I do? And I'm thinking I was down at the farmer's market, which is a great way of shopping if you have farmer's markets over there. Um, and I looked at, oh, there's a lot of potential here. And I always loved the granola, but I always thought it was too sweet. 
So I created my own recipe and it's a healthier version, much, you know, it's barely any sugar whatsoever. But, and I guess same thing there, you know, we can make, we can ha- make healthy mind choices. We can make healthy food choices, exercise, you know, all these things that are, they're all in like, and I guess in the olden times, like two, 200 years ago, we were much more physical than we are today because mm-hmm. We had to work on the land. We had to grow our own stuff. We had to do, and the community was stronger then as well. The mm. village was stronger totally. than it is now. Like even now when we have a child and I spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago, we have a child and we go home and sit in our own house and like, yeah, we might have a mother's group or something like that. But I don't think it's very healthy, you know, because you're, we don't, we should be surrounded by other men and women that are different ages and different other kids and we can help each other. You know, it's all about community. And I guess, um, same thing. You're not alone. You know, there's billions of other people that are having babies as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's totally true. Back then, you helped raise each other's kids. And mm-hmm. you watched out for each other. And now it is so individualistic. And yeah, I, I really hope that that is shifting, you know, at a deeper level in in our world in general. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to ask you my two questions. And mm-hmm. so the first one is, is what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? What has been the most vital to my growth? I guess, um, I guess the most vital, like I, I think when you, when you go through something like this, you have to really make sure you surround yourself with people that are like-minded or as in, that help you rise, if that makes sense. I think that's super, super important. And, and, and it's vital for your growth. You know, like you want people that are want, want to, to get more out of life and, and find themselves regardless of what you're going through. Mm. Does that, mm-hmm. yeah. that make sense? Yeah? yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think it encourages that mindset of, that you've been talking about this whole time of not being a victim, being a victor, man, if you're not surrounded with people who have that similar mindset, it's really hard to stay there. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, this, and I guess that that's another way. I mean, we have a, like a, a wealth of, of stuff that we can access online in comparison to when I grew up, you know, and I was, I was terrified of, of, you know, I laugh and we had the first computer at school. I was like thinking, oh, you know, and when they said, oh, you know, you can be working in Photoshop when I was a photographer. I'm like, I'm a photographer. I would never use Photoshop. Like all these things, like, and that was just a mindset. I was scared mm-hmm. because it was un- unknown and I was scared of it. But, you know, if you find, you find yourself with, with people that are looking, you know, how can we make it better? You know, how can we approach it in a different way to make it work instead of going, it's not going to happen because it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And change, change. You have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to change. And I had to change whether I liked it or not, but I loved it. Like looking back at it now, mm-hmm. I loved it because it forced me. And, you know, I think that's the, the other thing is like life gives you little nudges it starts small and then, and, and, and you, you call it God or universe, but someone is trying to tell you and then they get 
the nodules get like stones and then it becomes rocks and then it's suddenly it's a brick wall. And I could hear it all along the way, but I didn't actually listen until it was too late. Mm. You know, and, and I don't want other people, you know, if that's what you have to go through to to grow, fair enough. But also like especially with your health and, and your mind, listen to it. Listen to what is going on in there, you know, what's going on physically in your body. Because often your physical body is from your mindset as well. Mm-hmm. Mm, How it comes out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're speaking straight to my soul, Eleanor. It's <laughs> 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 true, though. For so long, I was so focused on the mind and the 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 growth piece and all of that, and neglected my body. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. no it doesn't work mm-hmm. no it's 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 and that's if we have to learn to listen to our bodies uh, as in you know yeah we have to because it's and it's all comes together and you know if you don't listen to your physical body because your physical body will tell you what your mind is doing yeah don't wait too late you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, might have to, I have to come over and check you out and see what's going on over there <laughs> <laughs> come on come on yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh so I- I keep looking at those photos from Colorado. I'm like, well, I'll be on the horse in the mountain. (laughs) 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 Gallicum. You know, I love it. I I love a mountain. I I always love, I feel, um, I love the ocean as well, but on top of a mountain, I feel like on top of the world, you know, Mm. it's like the fresh air and the, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We have good mountains here. We can go. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, skiing as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So number two is, what do you want to make sure that people know? I want to make sure that people know it doesn't cost anything to be kind. I also want to know that you only limit your own mind. That does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You put limit. You put limits on your own mind, uh, what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to make it all worthwhile, help another person as you're taking a step forward. Mm, it's powerful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that, uh, that's, yeah, I think that's what I want people to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, it's huge. It's, that's life changing. Mm. Mm-hmm. It certainly has been to me. I mean, you know, and I, I, I'm grateful. I I seriously am grateful for what this has brought into my life. And I feel like I'm just getting started as in, you know, look at the potential in, in people, in human beings, if we just get them to, to have belief, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. it, the, the world will be a very different way. Sorry, different place. If we can get that, if we can work on that, you know, the belief and, and, you know, we can, we can change those mountains over in Colorado. We can move them. <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't want to move them. <laughs> I still want to stand on top of them yes. <laughs> whilst they're moving. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's it for me, I think. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, I know that after listening to this, people who don't know you definitely will want to connect with you and get to know you even better. So can you let people know how they can find you, how they can connect with you? 
Okay, so at, at, at the moment, so my, you can find me on my Facebook page is probably where I'm mostly vocal at the moment, which is Eleanor Tevenborg. So it's E-L-E-N-O-R-T-E-D-E-N-B-O-R-G uh, on Facebook. And I also have Sold on Life, which is obviously my granola and, and stuff like that. But I'm looking at combining those two pages because I find that my message needs to to be joined, not be separated, if that makes sense, because sold on life is very much me. And uh, so I'm looking at, at actually including them, you know, so the best way is to, to jump on my Facebook page under my name. You can have a look at sold on life as well, but it's not actually a page undergoing growth at the moment, but I will combine them and have them all under one roof, if that makes sense. So yeah um and and on instagram i'm sold on life so i do still i guess uh, although i don't photograph in that sense any, anymore i like still taking photos but i've probably gone more away from people and uh, and i like helping people but i rather do more arty stuff on on facebook and i actually not even use my own pro proper uh, gear for that i just use my phone and I just walk down the street and I see something and that catches my eye. And I, I, it's, yeah, it's definitely more arty than, than what I would photograph if I, I had my, my proper gear. If that makes yeah. sense. I bet it's beautiful though. I, I don't even know. I need to look. I don't know if I knew you had an Instagram, so I need to find you over yeah, there. So it's, yes, yeah, so yeah. sold on life. So S-O-U-L-D on O-N-L-I-F-E. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Yeah. yes beautiful well and i'll put the links in the show notes as well so people can just click through uh to find you as well but thank i want to say thank you eleanor so much for being my guest and for sharing your heart and your vulnerability and your story and gosh your wisdom in all of the hardship that you have been through so that we can learn from you and that we can all be better. So thank you for that. No, thank you so much for having me. And um, as I said, if I, you know, just don't, don't be a stranger, please feel free to reach out as well. If you have, you know, if something pops up in your head and you're, you're challenged by something, please reach out to me. And I, I, you know, I, I can only give you, uh, my personal opinion, but I will definitely try and help you. Mm. So, yeah. Thanks, Sarah, for having me. And uh, I was going to say thanks, sister, for having me. <laughs> oh, yes. You are my soul yes. sister. Yay. I can't wait for the day to hug you. <laughs> I just yes. love you. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks for being thanks. here. Thanks, Sarah. All right, my friends, what an awesome interview. We absolutely believe in the power of our stories, and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart, experiences, and light with all of us. If you want more of the WE podcast, make sure you head over to thewespot.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as the WE Spot blog. The We Spot is your go-to spot for growth, connection, authenticity, and encouragement. You can also find us on social media. Head over to the We Spot Facebook and Instagram pages and get plugged in. You can also find me, Sarah Moneres, on my personal Facebook and Instagram pages as well. 
If you love the Wee Podcast, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. We want as many people as possible to be lifted up in growth and get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.